Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, January the 14th, 2022, um, and I hope you've all had a good week. COVID, of course, uh, on a rampage, craziness in Washington on a continuing rampage. Um, I, I sometimes feel as though it's coming at us from so many directions that it's hard to keep track but uh, that's what we're going to try to do right here and right now, and I thank you for joining me. Last week, and I, I've been focusing on interior enforcement for the longest time, um, and I think I'm in the position to talk about it because as a former INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service Special Agent, that was my bailiwick. And having rotated through all the squads and in the investigations branch, having been part of DEA intelligence for four years, having then worked for 10 years as a member of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, but always as an immigration agent, I came to see up close and in person how critical immigration law enforcement is to all of the challenges and threats that we're facing. And that's not an anti-immigrant position. That's the garbage that you're hearing from the open borders crowd. You can find them on both sides of the aisle. Obviously, the Democrats um, have lost their minds and their moral compass but let's be blunt. It was the Republicans who started this nonsense of importing the foreign workers and taking down borders and creating a visa waiver program and a diversity visa and so forth. The problem that we face is that politicians are being openly bribed. Of course, they don't call it bribes. They call it campaign contributions. But in reality, campaign contributions are bribes, especially when you're looking at the kind of money that special interest groups are able to pump into political campaigns. And I've seen some of these politicians. Matt Gates, for example, from Florida, did this little TV show with a, with a Democrat and said, oh, we've taken an oath. We're not going to be taking a PAC money, political action committee money. We're only going to take small contributions from the constituents in our states. Well, slow, or maybe not only in their states, but... You know, the idea is that the average American, let's stop for a moment and understand that the political parties, the Democrats and Republicans, get tons of money directly. People can contribute to the political parties, and then they disperse this money, this PAC money, to the various candidates who do what they are told. They are the good little boys and the good little girls that do exactly as they're told and vote for various bills unless they already have enough votes for a particular bill, and then they'll tell the candidate, you know, Joe Smith, um, Susan, whoever, hey, listen, you can vote against the bill. Your, your constituents are going to love you because we have enough votes to get what we want, so we don't need your vote. All kinds of games get played. It's a real magic act. It's a real con game. And what's happening is we're being conned out of our future, out of our lives, livelihoods, uh, it's having a terrible impact on our children and our grandchildren. 
And this is the game they play, and it's both parties. Immigration law enforcement is what I focus on because, again, my experience, but it also my experience has taught me that immigration profoundly impacts just about every challenge and threat we're facing. And we're constantly reminded about immigration and the border, the Mexican border and immigration, the border patrol and immigration. So what I want to do this evening, I want to start out by telling you what I found in my 30-year career or during my 30-year career. When I hired on in 1971, I hate to admit how long ago it was, I was told that you're going to go to the Border Patrol Academy in Los Fresnos, Texas for training. And I thought, that's odd. I'm going to be an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport, which is how I was hired. Initially, I was told I was being hired as an agent, and at the last minute, they switched. We need inspectors. And I started to ask myself a question that I wound up asking myself for the 30 years I was there. What the hell am I doing here? But then I'm thinking, well, why the Border Patrol Academy? There's more to immigration than the Mexican border. And I went down to the Border Patrol Academy. It was kind of interesting. They had a detention bus meeting us there, and they drove us in a detention bus right into the academy. It used to be a Navy base. There was a, run, a runway in the back of the, the facility, and we lived in basically were, were military barracks. If you watch the movie Top Gun and you see those barracks, that's pretty much the way it was laid out at Los Fresnos at the Border Patrol Academy. The idea that the Border Patrol is the lead agency for immigration law enforcement, frankly, is crazy. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm a big fan of the U.S. Border Patrol. Those men and women do very dangerous, important work to interdict, to try to stop cargo and people from entering the United States without inspection, or at least that used to be their mission, but it does not seem to be the mission under the Biden administration any longer. You can almost think of them as meters and greeters, providing all sorts of services to illegal alien children and aliens that Biden wants to just wave on into the United States. But if you look at what the mission of Customs and Border Protection is, it's supposed to prevent the uninspected entry of people and cargo. That's important. The people and cargo don't only arrive on the Mexican border. We have a Canadian border. We have 95,000 miles of coastline. Ships can easily um, have you know, small boats go out and meet them at sea and bring people back off those ships where they come to shore at some marina somewhere. No inspection, no nothing. Um, years ago, perhaps, um, I'm gonna, if I remember correctly, in the mid-'90s, we had that ship, the Golden Venture, with dozens of illegal Chinese aliens on board that washed ashore in the Rockaways. So the coastline is a big problem. And I spent two or three years at the New York office of INS as the Marine Intelligence Officer. I was going out and meeting ships at Anchorage with the Coast Guard, with Customs, and I was part of the boarding parties and search teams looking for people and contraband. That's our border also. Nearly half of all illegal aliens up until the Biden administration are believed to have entered the United States legally through ports of entry and then failed to depart when they were supposed to and or otherwise violated the terms of their admission. They came on tourist visas and they accepted unauthorized employment. They came supposedly to attend the school but never attended the school and remained in the country. If you look at the 93 terror attacks 
um, specifically the bombing at the Trade Center in February of 93, the truck that was used to deliver the bomb to the basement of the World Trade Center, the garage of the World Trade Center, was rented by an illegal alien who violated his visa and was driven by another illegal alien who had a driver's license, even though he was also here illegally, not because he ran the borders, but because he violated the terms of his admission. We've seen this time and time again. The Border Patrol has absolutely nothing to do with these situations. Aliens who are able to game the visa process and get visas to enter the United States enter through a port of entry, and it's the inspector at the port of entry who has jurisdiction, not generally the Border Patrol. When aliens violate their status, that job is interior enforcement, and the ICE agents are supposed to handle that, not the Border Patrol. The Border Patrol does not adjudicate applications for benefits. The Border Patrol does not conduct investigations of fraud. The 9-11 Commission made it abundantly clear that immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists, and not just on 9-11. And, in fact, I testified at my very first congressional hearing on May 20, 1997, and the topic of that hearing was immigration fraud and visa fraud because of the 93 terror attacks carried out in the United States. January 93, an individual from Pakistan, Kansi, applied for political asylum. He bought into a courier van service. That van had a sticker that allowed him to park in the parking lot of the CIA in Virginia. January 93, cold morning. He rolls into that parking lot as people are coming on duty. And instead of taking packages out of the truck to deliver, he pulled out an AK-47 and opened fire. He killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. The following month, we had the bombing at the Trade Center. I just described how the van or the truck was driven and rented. Over a 1,000 people were injured. It was over a half billion dollars in damages. Six people were killed. These actions had nothing to do with the Border Patrol or the Mexican border. So how in the world the Border Patrol came to run the immigration service is beyond me. Why we only want to focus on the Mexican border is beyond me. Now, again, do not for a heartbeat misunderstand what I'm telling you. The U.S.-Mexican border is a very dangerous border. Part of the problem is endemic corruption in Mexico and America's extreme appetite for cheap labor and drugs, narcotics. That plays into Mexico and the Mexican border. I previously talked about how there have been hearings, open hearings, where Information was provided that Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization initially based in Lebanon but now run, controlled, and financed by Iran, Hezbollah has tens of thousands of operatives all over Latin America working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood America with narcotics and people, including sleeper agents. The drug money is being used to finance Iranian terror around the world. Latin America has become a staging area for international terrorists focused on America. The tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay, um, is where there are terror training camps. I remember several years ago getting into a car that was sent to me uh, by one of the studios. I don't remember if it was MSNBC or Fox or CNN, because back then, believe it or not, all the studios had me come in to talk honestly about immigration. 
it seems as though when Citizens United was decided by the Supreme Court, whereby unlimited amounts of money could be pumped into political campaigns, the climate literally changed. The wind switched direction. Suddenly, the mainstream media wanted nothing to do with an honest conversation about immigration. It's incredible. It was as though a light switch had been flipped. That quick and that certain. But in any event, I remember being driven into the studio, and I was talking to my driver, and I asked him where he was from. I said it sounded to me that he had a Brazilian accent, and he said he did. And fortunately, we were waiting at a red light when I asked him if he knew anything about the tri-border region of Brazil. This poor driver freaked out, jumped up, and uh, damn near knocked himself silly by hitting the roof of the, of, the, of the limo that he was driving. And he spun around and he said, what do you know about the tri-border region? I said, I don't know. I've just heard some rumors. What can you tell me? He said, I'll tell you what I know. Anybody who goes there and wasn't invited is never seen again. It's a violent, dangerous place. So that tri-border region is very often the place where we've seen alien smugglers operating out of the Middle East bring in caravans, loads of aliens from the Middle East into Brazil, potentially through the tri-border region for training, and then they move them through Venezuela where it's easy to get identity documents, passports, and so forth, and then up through the Mexican border into the United States. That's how dangerous the Mexican border is. So do not for a heartbeat think that I'm saying we don't need to secure the Mexican border. We absolutely have to. It's a definite. It's like you don't drill holes in the bottom of your boat if you plan to, to get to your destination. That border has got to be made secure. But it's only one of many elements of the immigration system. Or as I wrote in an article a number of years ago, I, I spoke about the Mexican border and the immigration colander. You know, that kitchen device that you use to drain pasta or vegetables or whatever. It's got lots of holes in it. If you had a colander, immigration would be the Mexican border would be one of the holes in the bottom of that immigration colander, but only one of those holes. Now, remember, if you have a boat, how many holes do you need in the bottom of the boat for the boat to wind up at the bottom of the lake? One hole. So we have to plug the Mexican border, big hole. But that's not going to do the job by itself because you have aliens coming in through international airports. They're coming in through the northern border. They're coming in along our coastline. They're coming in with visas. They're coming in under the visa waiver program. And no matter what you do with the Mexican border, you could put up the most incredible wall in the history of humanity. You could coat it with Teflon, slather it with grease, and top it off with concertine wire and run 100,000 volts of electricity through it. But I can put a device in your pocket. I can put an item in your pocket that weighs less than an ounce. And for all intents and purposes, that Mexican border, the wall at least, goes away. What I'm talking about is a green card or a U.S. passport, because the border wall was not designed to block off the ports of entry. So when Nancy Pelosi stands there spewing her lies and her nonsense, it's a wall of shame, it's a wall of hate. No, it's not. Many people mistakenly believe that the purpose of the border wall is to keep Mexicans out of the United States. That's the biggest lie I've heard in quite some time. If the goal was to keep people out of the United States, it would block off ports of entry. How many times have you heard the globalists and the radical lunatics of the left 
screaming about the border wall and comparing it to the Berlin Wall. Well, I want you to think about this. The Berlin Wall was designed to keep people in East Germany because they wanted to flee the oppression and the poverty and the totalitarian form of government that they had in East Germany. Of course, Democrats don't want you to know about that because it seems that they're trying to recreate East Germany in the United States or recreate Venezuela in the United States. They're hell-bent on power, on control. These are the ultimate control freaks. They want you to play Simon Says, and they're going to be Simon, and they want consequences if you don't follow what you're told. We're seeing it across a broad spectrum of issues. But the reality is the wall in Germany was designed to keep people in, not people out. Walls of a prison are designed to keep the prisoners in. Of course, now the prisoners are all out, and Americans are imprisoned in their homes because they're fearful of going out in the street. What a twisting of reality. This is the twilight zone. But again, the border wall was not designed to trap Americans in America. It was designed to make certain that we have an orderly process where anybody or anything entering the United States gets screened and we create a record of entry. What is unreasonable about that? The idea is to keep out criminals, aliens with dangerous diseases, aliens who are involved with human trafficking, drug smuggling, terrorism, espionage, fugitives from justice, Nazis and Nazi war criminals, human rights violators, and we work our way down to aliens who, if they work, would displace American workers and drive down wages and working conditions for Americans who are able to get the jobs, many of which would be lost to foreign workers, and finally aliens who would become a public charge. The purpose for the inspections process that we conduct at ports of entry, something I'm intimately familiar with having done that job for four years. It's not about the color of the person's skin or the race or the religion or the ethnicity. In fact, when President Trump came to office and said, we're not going to permit aliens from six or seven countries to enter the United States, the news media went nuts. And even Fox News to this day refers to the aliens as being from Muslim-majority countries, as though somehow the issue was Islam. That wasn't the case. If Trump was out to keep Muslims out of the United States, he he had done an incompetent job. Because the three most populous Muslim-majority countries are Indonesia, Pakistan, and India. They're not on the list. The reason for keeping those aliens out was that we could not screen them, either because they came from dysfunctional countries or their countries were involved with terrorism and had animosity towards the United States. So we were not able to properly screen people who wanted to come here even though they came from countries that had an involvement with terrorism. Now, what's interesting about that, in February of 1998, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center, which took place on February 26, 1993, so this is February 24, 1998, the Senate Judiciary Committee had a hearing about Iranian terrorists operating in the United States or terrorists operating, I guess, in the United States. And we're not talking about domestic terrorists like Mr. Garland seems to think we need to focus on today. Uh, By the way, I want to be clear. I don't care what anyone's political orientation is. If you believe that the solution to a political grievance is violence, then you need to be stopped. 
because the definition of terrorism is somebody who employs violence to achieve political objectives. So anybody who believes that the way we're going to resolve issues in the United States is through violence, well, they're dangerous and they need to be stopped. I don't care what they subscribe to. The fact that they believe that violence is a legitimate part of the equation is illegal and dangerous. So I want to be very clear. But the idea that we are now focusing on domestic terrorism, when if you remember just before President Trump left office, the FBI reported that they were opening up more cases on international terrorism every week than they had enough agents to handle the investigations. So now we're going to take limited resources and use it to focus on American terrorists and ignore international terrorism. This is lunacy. This is a prescription for a disaster. I pray to God that we don't get hammered. But they are literally leaving us vulnerable. This is kind of like the Calais deception. Those of you familiar with the Second World War, General Eisenhower and the uh, Allied generals realized that if uh, we went into uh, Normandy, and we somehow could not get the Germans to divide their resources. It would have been a bloodbath, and we would have failed. So through deception, we convinced the Germans that we were coming in through Calais. General Patton was put in charge of a make-believe army, basically, that involved inflatable trucks and tanks and airplanes and all sorts of things. Um, and so the Germans were forced to divide their resources, and that's why the Allied troops were able to succeed at Normandy, but they paid one hell of a price. If you want to talk about being anti-fascists, those young men and boys who died or were badly wounded on those blood-stained beaches were the true anti-fascists. Again, the lunacy of today's propaganda machine. It's unbearable and it's dangerous. The soldiers of the military, the U.S. military, are allies of the anti-fascists, whether they were fighting in Germany or Europe were fighting in Asia with Japan. They were laying down their lives, coming home badly wounded to stop fascism. They were the real anti-fascists. But the reason I'm mentioning this deception at Calais is that right now our own administration is dividing our resources when it shouldn't be. We need a laser focus on protecting America from international terrorism, from Iran, from Afghanistan. Think of that disaster in Afghanistan when 5,000 known terrorists were turned loose and provided with billions of dollars of some of the best American weaponry. My gosh, it takes my breath away. When people are accused of funding terrorism, the big issue is that the terrorists need money in part to buy weaponry. In a manner of speaking, the way we left Afghanistan funded terrorism except we avoided or eliminated the middleman. All that the Afghanis had to do was pick up the weapons that we left in our hasty retreat. And Joe Biden is the commander-in-chief. Let's remember who did this. There's got to be accountability. As an agent, I was always accountable for what I did, and I was accountable for what I didn't do. Joe Biden is the commander-in-chief, and it was under his watch that for the first time, I, I believe, in the history of the United States, America cut and ran, left behind Americans, left behind billions of dollars of weaponry, and liberated thousands of hardened terrorists. But we're going to focus on, 
moms and dads at school board meetings who are upset with critical race theory and declare them to be domestic terrorists, it would appear. Wow. It takes my breath away. It takes my breath away. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These are not Democrats. These are certainly not Democrats. I have a couple of names I could attribute to them. Uh, Democrat doesn't fit the bill. So in any event, the problem that we have is interior enforcement, immigration fraud, the fact that there are people who've come to America for malevolent purposes, whether it's cartel members, terrorists, criminals, fugitives. As a rule, the Border Patrol has nothing to do with that. How in the world the Border Patrol became the moving force behind, behind immigration law enforcement in, the, in America is one of those baffling situations. Uh, politically, it works out for the Border Patrol. They get the lion's share of the money, or at least they used to with the old INS. Um, we used to get their vehicles after they put 100,000 miles on those cars and beat them you know, senseless. Um, whatever money wasn't spent by the Border Patrol went to interior enforcement. I will never forget a hearing where um, our, our commissioner um, actually went, and Meisner, Doris Meisner, actually said at a congressional hearing that interior enforcement was a term of usage devoid of meaning and created by the investigations branch. And it was interesting because a true gentleman and a true leader by the name of Jack Shaw, who had been the associate commissioner of enforcement for immigration, um, actually quoted Meisner at a subsequent hearing, and I believe he had just left his position as the Associate Commissioner for Enforcement. He was a guy with real integrity, real class. I had dinner with him several times. The man was a true leader. Passed away a few years ago, great loss. Uh, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Jack Shaw. But he was stymied at every turn by Doris Meisner, who hated interior enforcement, didn't want any enforcement, didn't like the Border Patrol, thought her mission was to naturalize the world, and acted on it through a corrupt program known as Citizenship USA, CUSA. So time and time again, what we've seen is the politicization of immigration law enforcement. What other area of law enforcement can a member of Congress come up with a private bill? Think about that. You can take an alien, and, and if you're a member of Congress, push through a private bill to give an alien U.S. citizenship. Is there any similar relief available for somebody who needs to pay taxes to the IRS or fulfill other responsibilities as a citizen of this great country? No. But immigration, you know, we, we, we beat it in every direction. It was prostitutionalized. Uh, it, was, it was just used as a political tool to provide cheap labor um, and, and all sorts of other benefits to the special interest groups. Interior enforcement was always neglected, always ignored, other than under General Eisenhower, who created Operation Wetback. I know it's not politically correct, and many people don't even know why they use that term, so I'll explain it. If two Border Patrol agents, for argument's sake, were sitting on the Mexican border doing line watch, they're just north of the border, and they see a bunch of illegal aliens running northward from the Rio Grande. Well, if they swam the Rio Grande and they're running north, if you look at their backs, 
their backs are going to be soaking wet because they just came out of the river. So one Border Patrol agent might say to the other, hey, there's a couple of wetbacks, meaning these guys just came out of the river. That means there was probable cause to stop them because they probably just swam in, evading the inspections process at a nearby port of entry. So they used the term wetback. No insult. It was just the reality. So when Eisenhower was told that there were perhaps a million illegal aliens in the United States with no authority to be here, he said, why are they here? Now, remember, Eisenhower was a general. So he ordered Border Patrol agents to augment the investigations division and go into cities like New York and elsewhere and arrest illegal aliens. They drove through the city streets, I was told, in their, in their green and white Border Patrol cars. The green machine came to New York. Um, that was the, the end of meaningful interior enforcement. Generally, we had about 2,000 immigration agents for the entire United States of America, which is ridiculous. It's like going to the beach with a thimble and saying, I'm here to get rid of the sand, and you know what's going to happen when the tide comes in. But you've got your thimble or you've got your teaspoon. Again, the laws were on the books to protect us, but the politicians want, did not want to enforce the laws because the people writing the campaign contributions would not be happy if they couldn't get their cheap, exploitable workers. That's how this mess started, folks. That's how it all started. The Chamber of Commerce got involved. The American Immigration Lawyers Association got involved. The various religious groups that were getting money for dealing with refugees got involved. Boy, oh, boy, this was a cash cow and a huge cash cow. And so over time, immigration became more and more overwhelmed. 2,000 immigration agents is a joke. New York City has over 36,000 police officers. Think about that comparison. And when DHS was created by George W. Bush, he violated the Homeland Security Act in putting together the Department of Homeland Security. Immigration enforcement was not supposed to be bifurcated. It was not supposed to be cut in half with ICE and Customs and Border Protection. It was supposed to be one unified agency. And they were not supposed to fold other law enforcement agencies in with immigration. It wasn't supposed to be immigration and customs enforcement. No, it was supposed to be immigration enforcement. Customs used to be under the aegis of the Treasury Department. Customs basically is a revenue collection agency looking for tariffs, looking for duties, and, of course, to keep out contraband. But they have nothing to do with people. The movement of people across international borders was the responsibility of the Immigration Service, and that's why immigration used to be under the Justice Department, similar to the FBI. It was seen as an element of national security. After 9-11, they created DHS, and they took about 6,000 ICE agents. And you would think, well, that's three times the number. No, it wasn't, because the way Bush put it together, they folded in with immigration, customs, and TSA, and ATF, and Secret Service, and I believe GSA as well. It was everybody and anybody got folded in. So suddenly you had immigration agents conducting investigations into money laundering, narcotics smuggling, um, intellectual property theft, copyright violations. What did that have to do with immigration? And the answer is a resounding absolutely nothing. This was the way of creating an agency that sounded great, Homeland Security, 
I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. When Donald Trump came to office, he tried to undo the damage, but he was overwhelmed, and he was constantly fighting battles uh, within the bureaucracy uh, because there were adherents to the Obama policies of open borders and unaccompanied minors. And Joe Biden is now making Obama look like he was tough on immigration. Where we are now is in an untenable position, and the damage that Biden is doing I don't want to say it's irreparable, but it will take decades, decades to begin to get a handle on it. What he is doing is to make certain that immigration becomes the most dysfunctional agency in the entire federal bureaucracy, and it didn't need to be. And the message that we've sent to people around the world is that in the United States, not only can you get away with committing crime, but we can't wait to reward you for committing crime. Biden wants to hire tens of thousands of IRS agents to go after Americans who might fudge on their tax returns, but aliens who lie on visa applications or citizenship applications have nothing to fear. Employers who hire illegal aliens have nothing to fear. So the obvious question that should be asked, but is never asked by anybody, is, and they ought to ask the smirking Jen Psaki, How is this good news for Americans? How is bringing in competing workers good for the average American worker and his or her family? How is it good for national security when the 9-11 Commission made it abundantly clear that border security is national security? And once you get into the interior of the United States, there is no enforcement. So here's an interesting story. I'm still in touch with a bunch of my former colleagues of the old INS, and some of them, of course, moved over to DHS, and they are now retiring. You know you're getting old when. But on December 28, 2021, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri and James Langford of Oklahoma issued a joint letter to Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of DHS, demanding to know why the agency had yet to release its required report on visa overstays, aliens who came to the United States legally but failed to depart when they were supposed to depart. And as part of oversight, Congress has the right, the authority, the need to know what those numbers are. Of course, knowing who didn't leave doesn't mean anything unless you can go after them, but we don't have those resources. We don't have those resources, and it's remarkable. I started mentioning... um, the hearing that was held in 1998 where Diane Feinstein, I think I, I missed giving you the punchline to that story. Diane Feinstein, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, made three recommendations at the hearing. Number one, we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens that come from countries that sponsor terrorism. In 98, most of them were still living in those countries, not yet dispersed to, to Europe and other visa waiver countries. She also said we shouldn't be giving training in, in the sciences, biology, chemistry, physics, to aliens from those countries because we're teaching our enemies how to make weapons of mass destruction. And she also questioned the wisdom of, of expanding or even maintaining the visa waiver program. And nobody fainted and nobody rioted. But when Donald Trump said pretty much the same thing, everybody, everyone went haywire, okay? So when he said those six countries, there were 200 people or so that weren't allowed in, the rental mobs came out and they rioted and screamed. And in reality, the inspectors at ports of entry do not have to admit an alien who has a visa. 
do an inspection to make certain that they are not excludable, that you don't develop additional information when maybe you search their baggage or you search them or you question them, albeit briefly, and find out that the guy's really coming here to work illegally. Then he's no longer admissible as a non-immigrant visitor, as a non-immigrant tourist, for example. So what we really should be looking at, and I recommended this to Senator Hawley's uh, people. I called him up when I saw the letter someone had sent it to me, one of my former colleagues, because Hawley is saying, hey, we want to know what's going on with these aliens that are being lawfully admitted. Are they leaving? Are they staying? What are the numbers like? Turns out that the numbers are higher than they've ever been. Shocker. Again, this is the Biden administration. Borders, we don't need no stinking borders. And I suggested that they should also look at visa refusal rates and how many aliens are now being denied entry at ports of entry when they show up with a visa. Because I'm sure those numbers are much smaller than they should be. So this comes back to the need for interior enforcement, meaningful interior enforcement. And that's the issue we should all be pushing for when we speak to our members of Congress. I am tired of everybody jumping up and down, border wall, border wall, border wall. Yes, we need a border wall. I'm not going to argue. It's, it's helpful, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Uh, you know, I compare a wall on the border to a wing on an airplane. Without a wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. Border wall should have been completed, period, full stop, nothing else to say. But that by itself won't get the job done. And everyone wants a magic bullet. Well, how about if we start with that? What does that mean? What does that mean? We're talking about national security, folks. We're talking about transnational gangs flooding our communities. And when you look at all the violence in cities around the United States, one of the things no one's asking is, are any of the people carrying out the violent crimes here legally or illegally? I can tell you, that when I was assigned to DEA intelligence, this was back in the late 80s, I did a survey as to who was being arrested by DEA for significant drug trafficking. In New York City back then, you're going to be amazed, roughly 60%, 6-0% of the people being arrested by DEA in New York at the task force were foreign-born. Nationally, 30% of the people being arrested by the DEA task force were foreign-born. They don't comprise 30% of our population nationally. 60% of the people arrested in New York were foreign-born for drug trafficking on the federal level. These aren't people running around with a joint in their back pocket. Before the feds get involved, we're talking about a lot of drugs. I mean, tractor trailers filled to the brim. Why in the world... There's nobody even raising the issue because they're afraid of being branded anti-immigrant, and that's not anti-immigrant. These aren't immigrants. I know they're using the term undocumented immigrants. They're illegal aliens. And the Biden administration is quickly running around and changing the words in the law so that wherever they see the word alien, they put down immigrant. And this Orwellian nonsense started with Jimmy Carter. That's like saying that if you arrest drunk drivers, if you arrest drivers with no licenses, if you arrest uh, reckless drivers who go flying through school zones at 50 miles an hour when it's a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit, is anti-motorist. Nothing anti-motorist about taking dangerous people off the road. In point of fact, if you can get the drunks off the road and the crazies off the road, 
you're making the roads that much safer for pedestrians and all the other drivers who are just trying to get where they're going safely. It's not anti-motorist. By the way, talking about walls and fences and all this other business, um, if you go to the baseball park, if you go to a football stadium, they have fencing around the playing field. Why? Because they don't want people interfering with the game. And they make the fans go through gates, don't they? They have to pay to get a ticket, and then maybe they go through a metal detector to make sure they didn't bring a weapon with them. We're living in a crazy era. This never happened when I was a kid. Nobody would imagine bringing a weapon with them to a, a baseball park or, or, or anything else. But this is here we are, the lunatics running the asylum. But there's an orderly process where you buy a ticket, you go through screening, and then you take your seat and you enjoy the game. That is no different from a visitor coming to the United States and going through a port of entry so we can create a record of their entry. We know who they are. We check as best we can that they're not criminals or terrorists. And it keeps everybody safe. And the people who are being made most safe by that process, by the way, are the immigrants. Criminal aliens live and set up shop within the ethnic immigrant communities that are most similar to them. So if someone is from China, let's say, they're not going to move into an Italian neighborhood generally. They're going to move into an Asian neighborhood. Jamaican drug dealers don't generally set up shop in an Irish part of town. They, they, they'll, they'll, they'll move into the Caribbean community. So, Because crime, by the way, isn't one race or religion. Human nature is universal. All human beings bleed red, and all human beings have human nature, good or bad, good, bad, or ugly. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the heroes and the zeros, okay? So when you keep bad guys out of the United States, the people that are going to be made most safe are actually the members of the immigrant communities. Think about that. But don't let that fact get in the way of Nancy Pelosi's lies or Chuck Schumer's lies. Oh, my God, this is anti-immigrant. No, it's anti-crime. Anti-crime, just like the unit with the NYPD. I did a lot of work with them. That dumb Blasio, our former mayor, thank God he's former mayor, um, did away with. Now it's being reconstituted, but we have a Manhattan DA who thinks that criminals don't belong in jail. I mean, it's astonishing what is happening to our country. It's astonishing between the carjackings, um, the robberies, the, the madness. We're living in the Wild West because you have politicians who are playing politics with the lives of innocent people, and they don't care. They're doing it with impunity. They're doing it with impunity, and there's a real cost. People are dying. The murder rate is through the roof, carjackings through the roof, robberies through the roof, burglaries through the roof. But what the hey, we're all going to be uh, socially uh, proper or whatever you want to call it. This is nuts. This is sheer madness. It's sheer madness. And people, many times children, are dying as a consequence. They're teaching critical race theory, uh, which really pits one American against another. That's un-American, and it's racism. You want to talk about racism? Critical race theory is racism. It's not reverse racism. There's no such thing as, as reverse racism. If you attribute good or bad qualities to someone based purely on race, by definition, that's racism. And they're getting away with it because the American people have been intimidated. 
for decades now, kids have been told that the schools and the authorities will take care of the bullies. Now, I hated the bullies growing up. I was a scrawny kid. I didn't care about sports. My heroes were astronauts and test pilots. And growing up in Brooklyn, if you didn't care whether Mantle or Maris or whoever hit a home run, you were a fag and you wound up getting beat up. It happened to me more often than I cared. I hate bullies. So my dad taught me how to deal with it. I went to a gym. I worked out, spent weekend after weekend pumping iron and boxing. And all I had to do was have one or two fights with a couple of idiots. They started it. I finished it. And nobody wanted to come back to second. It's a very simple principle. If you cannot deal with schoolyard bullies, you're not ready to be an adult. Think about it. If you bring home a puppy or a kitten, they play fight. Why are they play fighting? They're preparing for adulthood. If you can't deal with a schoolyard bully, you're in trouble. Now, we shouldn't be condoning violence. We shouldn't be condoning that kind of nonsense. Of course not. But what they've done is to emasculate American kids and tell them that they've got to call for help. Don't you dare deal with this on your own. The independent, free-thinking American is an anathema to these characters. Think about that. The John Wayne sort of character freaks them out. Toxic masculinity. Let me tell you, toxic masculinity won the Second World War. Toxic masculinity won the First World War. Toxic masculinity got us to the moon. If you want America to fail, then you emasculate the men of a society. You screw up the families. And this, again, my own personal thing, this isn't about religion even. You can be a decent person and be an atheist as far as I'm concerned. What are your core values? Do you believe in being honest and trustworthy? You have a moral compass that guides you so that you don't hurt people, so that you play by the rules. When I was a kid, there used to be a saying that it's not a matter of whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Look at what Biden has been trying to do with ending the filibuster. And it's remarkable. Both parties play this game. When they're in power, they think they're going to be there forever. So if they're in power, they don't want the filibuster because the other side can interfere with their game plan. When they're in the minority, then they want the filibuster. So now that... Biden is in the majority. We don't need the filibuster because the Republicans are going to get in our way. And what are they talking about? Voter rights. It's not voter rights. They give titles to things that are crazy. It's actually about diminishing the integrity of the voting process, something as simple as requiring voter ID, not mailing out ballots to the immediate world so that you keep track of who's actually voting. If you really believe in government that represents the people, then we should all be in agreement that the voting system has to have integrity. The so-called voter rights that they're looking for would destroy the integrity of the voting system. And ultimately, that undermines democracy. Ultimately, that takes from Americans their franchise as citizens. And look at New York right now. Non-citizens are able to vote. I know it's being challenged in the courts. It will be interesting to see how that turns out. But why in the world would you say that someone who comes into your city for 90 days or more should be able to vote for mayor? Pretty soon they're going to be having junkets to New York. I could see it now. Come to New York. Spend 90 days. All you have to do is vote. Wow. 
talk about importing voters. They're actually trying to do that, I believe, in New York City. It's endless. This isn't about representative democracy any longer. It's about a, an unquenchable thirst for permanent power, permanent power. And if politicians aren't made accountable in the voting booth, then they're not going to be made accountable anywhere else either. That's how dictatorships rise up. That's why they may have elections in China, but we all know the outcome. They may have elections in Cuba, but we all know the outcome, don't we? So understand the road that we're now going down and why it's so darn dangerous. And you look at the violence in the streets and the so-called reform of the bail system, Look, I, I personally think that there are people who shouldn't be in jail. I'll agree. If, you know, if you have a terrible track record as a motorist, I don't think jail is the solution. And the jails that we have aren't helping. They really aren't. We call them correctional facilities. They aren't. I think we should be taking a good, hard look at what happens with people when we do imprison them. Because if at some point we're going to let them out, are they going to come out better or worse? By the way, where criminal aliens are concerned, we have a solution to recidivism. We do. It's called deportation, removal. You kick them out of the country, and then the reentry law that I worked with Al D'Amato to create in the early 80s kicks in. So if you come back after you've been deported and you have a criminal history, you're looking at 20 years in jail. The idea is to deter people from coming back if they're criminals. We've deported you. Don't even think of coming back or else. That makes sense. To the American people, and it makes sense to the lawful immigrant community, doesn't it? But who are we representing today? Well, big tech, the major corporations, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and, and the list goes on. And the list goes on. If we're really serious about educating our children, here's a thought. Why in the world aren't we teaching children in high school about the responsibilities that go with parenthood? We hear too many stories about some guy who thinks he's macho and makes three, four, five women pregnant, so he has the bragging rights of how many kids he has out there with how many women. Who's raising these children? What's their situation? Children need a safe, wholesome, nurturing environment to do well. They do. Children who come from broken families start out with two strikes against them right out of the box. It's a difficult situation. On a personal note, my first wife died when our son was 22 months old. I was a single parent for five years before I got remarried. I cannot begin to tell you how tough a job it is to be a parent and have to support yourself and your child uh, and, and try to put your life back together. But I always made my children my priority. That's what parents do. That's what my wife has done. Our children are the priority. If you're not taking good care of the children, then you're creating a nightmare for them. And very often, kids like that wind up in gangs because gangs form surrogate families. That's what this is about. Human nature is human nature. You know, um, fish travel in schools, birds travel in flocks, humans travel in families. Children who have no family create their own family, and frequently it's a gang. And that's not a good situation. If you really want social justice and not see high rates of imprisonment, then we've got to start not when the person is 18 years old, but when the person is 18 hours old. Children who grow up in safe, nurturing environments 
statistically do much better than kids that grow up in chaos. Why in the world is nobody talking about the plight of American kids in the ghetto, in crime-ridden neighborhoods, in broken families, in situations where drug use and violence are rampant? These aren't environments that are conducive to a good outcome. Now, there are children that will overcome all these obstacles, and they're amazing, and they do succeed. But if you look at most people who are successful, they will point to at least one parent, whether it's a mother or a father or hopefully both, who had that influence in their lives that kept them on the straight and narrow, that pushed them in the right direction, that gave them that love and sometimes a swift kick in the backside to keep them on track. That's what parents are supposed to do. This is a class that should be taught to every kid in high school. It's wonderful to have children, but only if you are ready for the responsibilities that go with it. When people ask me what I'm proudest of, and I get that question frequently when I'm being interviewed, very often I think what they're looking for me to talk about is one of my major cases that I worked on, and there was no shortage of major cases. But that's not what I was proudest of. I mean, I'm certainly proud to have been an immigration agent. But for me, what am I most proud of? My children. It's my relationship with my children. They are my world. And now some of them have children, and being a grandparent is the greatest gift you could imagine. This is what we should be teaching our children. We should be teaching them the optimism that anybody, and I mean anybody, can overcome the obstacles and succeed in America. That's the beauty of the system. But we also need to know that increasingly, because of corporate greed, the American dream is becoming ever more elusive. I was on a conservative talk show about a year ago, year and a half ago, and the guy was adamant. He said, well, you're a registered Democrat. You don't get this, Mr. Cutler. But in America, there is no guarantee of outcome, only a guarantee of opportunity. And he was adamant about it. And I said, you know, I might be a registered Democrat, but I'm the kind of Democrat that JFK or Harry Truman was. I'm certainly not an Obama Democrat or a Pelosi Democrat. But I, I said, you know, you're wrong about no guarantee of outcome. And he got really, I hate to say nasty, on his own program. And he said, I defy you to back that up. And I said, well, you know what? I can back up what I just told you with just two words. Two words can prove that there's a guarantee of outcome in America? I said, absolutely. You know what the two words were? Golden parachute. Corporate executives come in as CEOs or CFOs or chief operating officers with a guarantee that even if they screw the pooch and the company goes down the tubes, they're going to walk out the door with millions of dollars. Is that not a guarantee of outcome? It most certainly is a guarantee of outcome. And, and so this is something that everybody needs to recognize. When you have that kind of a guarantee of outcome, then it means that Americans come to understand that the system is rigged. And when you flood America with more foreign workers than the number of jobs we create, then we force wages down, we eliminate opportunities for Americans, and we destroy the American dream for our own citizens. So is it any wonder that there are some Americans who are so desperate that they actually believe that socialism would work for them? They've never been taught what communism is about. They've never been taught about what the world looks like in reality. 
It's a fantasy world created by uh, the professors on these college campuses who probably need help crossing the street. But nevertheless, when I explain my concern about golden parachutes, the host of that program had nowhere to go. He was done. Stick a fork in him. This is crazy stuff. Under capitalism, it's supposed to be economic Darwinism, survival of the fittest. But when you guarantee corporate executives that no matter how bad they are, they're going to walk away with millions, well, it's no longer the kind of capitalism that we thought we had, is it? We have a serious responsibility, folks. Time is short. The Democrats are moving in in, in directions that are truly startling and disconcerting. We need to sit down with our neighbors and have conversations. We need to listen to them, too. Don't be nasty. Don't be insulting. Your neighbors that are trying to be compassionate really think they're doing the right thing. That's probably why you became friends with them in the first place. Nobody wants to have a friend who's seen as a cold-hearted SOV. We're attracted to people who are decent, charitable, and compassionate. And many people have been duped. The adversaries of America have turned our well-established reputation for charity and compassion into a weapon that they're using against us. Explain to your neighbors, your friends, your family members who disagree how the immigration laws have nothing to do with race or religion or ethnicity, and that no matter who we're dealing with, if you admit too many people into the United States, it will overwhelm the system. As it is, we normally admit roughly a million lawful immigrants every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitors, again, more than the rest of the world combined. But as Clint Eastwood said in the movies, a man's got to know his limitations, so does a country. There's nothing anti-immigrant about enforcing the Immigration and Nationality Act. Those laws are there to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Those laws are designed to protect the residents of ethnic immigrant communities, no matter where in the world they come from. What is unreasonable about that? I hope you'll check out my articles at Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I also write for U.S. Inc., U.S.I.N.C., U.S. Incorporated.org. I have an article that will be coming out within the next couple of days at U.S. Inc., and I'm working on another piece for Front Page Magazine. Please share those, those articles with your friends and neighbors and share a link to this podcast with them as well. I really believe that the facts, common sense, the law, and morality are all on our side. Our friends that disagree with us really aren't adversaries. They are truly our allies. If only we can win them over. And as John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things. Use those facts, and I bet you you can get people to see things from a whole new way. That's the job all Americans must do when we practice, and we must practice, the First Amendment, freedom of speech. I thank you for joining me. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay well. And I will see you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody.